probably the very uh, most often asked question is what is the purpose of life? Or maybe even more specifically, what's the purpose for my life? And no matter how old you are, no matter what season of life you're in, whether you're trying to figure out what career path to take, whether you're in the midst of your career, whether you're trying to figure out what you're going to do for retirement, or maybe you're in retirement, every single one of us wants our lives to count. Like we want it to have meaning and purpose. And the challenge for all of us is that we can easily get stuck in the mundane routine of life. We can, we can all of a sudden find ourselves stepping onto the treadmill of life and we just go through routine after routine after routine and we lose sight of the fact that God actually designed you with a significant and amazing purpose to live out throughout your life. And so what we find ourselves is that the high majority of Christians will often find ourselves that we, we all of a sudden miss this amazing, passionate, exciting life that Christ meant for us, and we find more excitement and passion in our jobs or our hobbies or our pursuit of our careers instead of finding the exciting, passionate pursuit of following Jesus. And my question is, why is that? Like, why do we find our jobs and our careers and our hobbies more thrilling and exciting than following Jesus? Why is it that when you ask people, when they think of the word church or they hear the word church, what comes to their mind is most of the time a building or boring or irrelevant, or judgmental, or hypocritical. Like those are the words that come to people's mind. And my, and my, my, my question is, how is that possible? And I, I just want you to think with me. How is it possible for the very thing that Jesus initiated, the very thing that Jesus gave his life for, how could that be boring? How could that be irrelevant? How can we become, as, as followers of Jesus, how can we really choose to say that we're going to follow the risen Jesus and people walk away feeling bored or irrelevant? How in the world could they rub shoulders with other people that say they serve and follow the risen Jesus the savior of mankind, like how in the world could they walk away from people like that and experience being judged or treated unlovingly? How is it that so many churches are filled with people that come and attend watching other people use their gifts and talents and just sit by and allow them to be served instead of being in the game serving others? How can that happen? What's happened to us? How can we walk into a, to a service where there is worship music being played to engage and allow us to participate in a gratefulness and a gratitude and appreciation of everything that Christ has done and we can easily sit there as spectators like hollow shells instead of just enthusiastically, gratefully, worshiping the king of kings. What happened? 
How can that be? And I believe the reason is because we've, saw, we've lost sight of the deep conviction that Jesus gave us that should fuel our entire life with incredible purpose and direction. We've lost sight of it. And you say, well, what is it? And that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And uh, again, if you're a guest, I just want you to know we're incredibly grateful that you're here. If, if uh, you felt uncomfortable when we asked you to move in because you're still a little nervous, uh, we have next week an 8 o'clock service. Will there be plenty of room for you? Uh, I'm sure. So I hope that you'll come to that. But hey, if you're tuning in online, so grateful that you've tuned in. Uh, we are thankful that you've joined us. We are kicking off a series today on the book of Acts, and this is going to be a series that we're going to be in for quite some time. I've mentioned to you that we're going to take about a four-week break over Easter. Uh, to, to, I'm going to do a series on marriage, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. But we're going we're gonna to really go pretty much verse by verse through this whole book. Uh, it's 28 chapters, and so we're looking forward to it. But here's the deal. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And, and Acts is kind of looked at as the sequel, the sequel to the book of Luke. And so oftentimes when, when people hear the book of Acts, they're curious what it means, but a lot of times people refer to it as the Acts of the Apostles. I really want you to kind of think of it a little different. I really want you to think of it as the Acts of God through the Apostles. And we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into that. But here's, here's kind of the idea of the book of Acts is that it's really, you're going to walk away with really understanding the purpose and the role that the church is supposed to be. Maybe not what the church has been presently, or maybe, maybe you had a bad experience with the church. Maybe, and again, I'm not talking about organization or building, I'm talking about the body of Christ. So when we say welcome church, we're not saying welcome building we're talking to you. In fact, when you think of the word, the English word church, we get it from the Greek word ekklesia. And this, and this Greek word ekklesia, what it's really talking about, it literally means an assembly or a gathering of called out people. And so if you break down this word, here, here's what the church really it means. It means the church is a gathering of called out people. And I want you to, I want you to think of this. I'm going to finish it in a moment. But in the Old Testament, you see the called out people were who? Come on, you, you can answer this. This isn't hard. The called out people in the Old Testament were who? Yeah, the Israelites, right? They were marked. If you remember, they were marked by circumcision. We are The church in the New Testament is the called out people, the body of Christ. We're marked, thank goodness not by circumcision, we're marked by baptism, right? A little easier, a little safer, right? So, so again, you have these called out people. So when Jesus initiated the church, this is what he's talking about. The church is a gathering of called out people around an idea or a conviction. You say, well, what's the idea or conviction? Well, Jesus tells Peter. So remember, remember uh, when, when Jesus was saying, hey, what's kind of the word on the street about me? He's asking like, hey, what are people saying about me? And, and they're saying, well, some, some people are saying like you're Elijah. And some people think maybe you're John, you know, reincarnated John the Baptist. You know, and, and, and he goes to Peter and says, hey, but who do you say that I am? And well, he says, well, you're, Jesus, I really believe that you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And so when Jesus responds, he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock. 
We know this from in, in, in Matthew 16. He says, on this rock, he's talking about the statement that he just made. On that bedrock statement that you just made that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my church. I'm going to build the called out ones, the called out about what conviction around the fact that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, and I'm going to build my church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church was never meant to be a building. Never meant to be a building. It was never meant to be a place where you show up and watch other people use their supernatural gifts and abilities. The church was never meant to be a place that people walk away feeling judged and uncared for and think it's boring or irrelevant. The church is a gathering of people who are coming together as a conviction around the fact that Jesus really is who he says he is. Like he's the son of God and he changed my life. And so when we come together and we worship, there should be a celebration. There should be participation. This isn't come and watch others, it's come and participate. We get to take communion together. We get to celebrate when baptisms, when people are publicly recognizing and saying, I'm affiliated, I'm associating with Jesus as my risen savior. That's why we immerse the death, burial, and resurrection saying, I represent Christ now. It's a, it's a mark of being a part of the family of God. And so my question is, if all of that is true, that's the church, then help me understand how in the world could that be boring? How in the world could people walk away if we're really associated with that kind of king of kings, Lord of lords, who's transforming our life. How could people walk away feeling it's irrelevant, it's dead, it's judgmental? Like how in the world could that happen? And here's how. It's because they've witnessed us. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Let's look. Acts 1, verse 1. He says, this is Luke talking, he says, in the first book, book of Luke, he was talking about, O Theophilus, this is Luke's skeptic friend that he's writing to, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, Luke's saying, I'm, I'm kind of picking up where I left off because we saw throughout the Gospels, Jesus' work, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, like we saw Jesus' work, and now when we come to the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit doing God's work through the apostles. He's doing it now through the church. He's doing it through, like Jesus is still working through his spirit, but he does it through his church. He does it through you and I as the body of Christ, the believers. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during, the, uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, why is this so important? Here's why this is important. After Jesus was arrested, you remember what the, you remember what the disciples did? Yeah. 
They scattered, right? They just, they, just, they just ran away. And again, after these guys just scattered and they ran away, the one that they had followed, think about it, put yourself in their shoes, the one that they had followed for three years and had put all the eggs in this basket of, I believe that Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, like you're going to set us free, you're going to get us out from under Roman, you know, dominion and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden he died. And now they're, they're left doubting, they're left confused, probably scared for their life because they know that they're going to be hunted down and arrested and most likely put to death for following the controversial prophet named Jesus. And they're gathered together and they're concerned about this. And again, Jesus reveals to them over those next 40 days many proofs that he's alive, that he rose from the dead. He told them ahead of time. He just really struggled to follow. And, And again, he gave them many, Scripture tells us, many proofs over the course of those 40 days. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. That word literally means to look for something patiently. So he says, just just wait. What are they waiting for? For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what's the promise? Here's the promise. The promise that God was giving was his Holy Spirit. That was the promise. Hey, wait, wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you something that's going to be amazing. I'm going to send you someone, it's a person, I'm going to send you someone that's going to absolutely make a significant difference, and it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the same thing that Luke talked about in, in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 49. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay, again, this idea of wait in that city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I don't know about you. I'm just curious. How many of you struggle with waiting? Come on, be honest with me. Yeah, I'm glad I'm in good company, right? I'm a type A personality. It's very difficult for me to, be, uh, to wait. Sometimes it can be difficult for me to be patient. My wife would say, no, it's incredibly difficult for you to be patient, right? Uh, but, but, again, but again, it's just, it's hard to wait. I mean, Jesus, come on. Like, like it's literally, just, just put yourself in their shoes. Like, hey, just, I want you to wait. But they're, they're like coming, not, like they're looking for us and want to put us to death. Like, Jesus, there, there are people that need saved. There are people that need healed. There are people that need your word. There are people that need food. There are people that need cared for. There are people that need, you know, healing from this disease. Like, like Jesus, we can't, like, we've got to do for you. And Jesus says, I want you to wait. And the significance of that is that it was a reminder. Here's, hear me, church. You and I, just like them, have no power apart from the Holy Spirit. This is so important for us to get. This is why I did a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit, because oftentimes the church treats the Holy Spirit like the stepchild of the Trinity. Like, like again, we, we get God, like we understand God the Father, 
Like we love Jesus because he died for us, and then there's the Holy Spirit, and it's kind of like, ah, I don't really know what to do with him. This is why it's so important. The Holy Spirit is the very one who indwells us and gives us power and authority to accomplish his work. And so he's saying, wait, because if you go out and don't wait on the Holy Spirit, you're going out with all your own power, which is nothing. And we wonder why people experience boring and irrelevance. Because it's impossible if the Holy Spirit is working for that to be their experience. You say, well, who is this Holy Spirit? Again, let me just give you, I'm not, I'm not going to go through a ton of it, but I'm going to give you a little bit. Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. We, Trinity is a doctrine that we believe in. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, not three gods. Amen. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that indwells us. So when, like when we accept Christ as our Savior, when you go from thinking that you can get your way to heaven on your own and being good and keeping commands and obedience and all that stuff, which Scripture says that will never get you to heaven, just so you know. Like you've got to understand the only thing that reconciles me back to God is me accepting and receiving, putting my trust in the work that Christ did for me on the cross. Like that's what saves me. And so when I, when I humble myself, acknowledge my sin has separated me from God, and I receive that free grace gift of Jesus into my life, in that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells me. In that moment, he also brings, he gives us supernatural gifts. You say, well, how in the world does all that happen? I don't know. That's why it it's, it's a God thing. If I could fully comprehend my, my God in my head, I'm just telling you, he's not God. Right? So I, there's, there's a mystery to it, but at the same time, there's all kinds of evidence to give us clarity that this is true. So the Holy Spirit indwells us, and this is the beautiful thing, and I've talked about this. I don't remember. I think it was when I was doing uh, the message on uh, reconciling relationships and working through uh, hard stuff, fighting for relationship how the, the gifts of the Spirit, like the gifts of the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit produces these gifts, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like, like those gifts, like they're, to, we're, we're in relationship. We need those, right? And so the Holy Spirit's got, I've got to abide in him, and then in that he produces these gifts so that we can be in relationship with one another. When you feel convicted over sin, that's the Holy Spirit. So I've told you this many times, so you don't have to convict people anymore, yeah. right? You don't have to do that. Yeah. Like you get off the hook. That's no longer a part of your job description. The Holy Spirit does that. And so here's the thing. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, then we have the opportunity to humble ourselves and seek forgiveness from God and from the people that we hurt. So that's the Holy Spirit's role. He brings and gives power and authority from God, because he is God. He gives us power and authority to do what God wants done. So the very thing, and you go, well, man, I can't do that. God's going, I know. That's why I gave you my spirit, so that he will do what I want in you as well as through you. Now, 
Just a quick side note, because I know I'll get asked or sent emails about this. Uh, you know, the question is, you know, what, uh, but it's not the focus of the passage, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But it's the baptism. Oftentimes it's, the, uh, it's articulated, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It says baptism with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so oftentimes I'll get asked, you know, well, what does that mean? Let me, let me just kind of, I'm just going to give you a quick bottom line. Bottom line is, one, it's, it's not talking about baptism that we celebrate through immersion. That's a different type of baptism. Baptism through immersion, as I've already said, it's a public declaration, public acknowledgement, public celebration of an inward change, right? Like we're identifying with Christ. That set us apart. So that's a baptism through immersion. Baptiz- baptism with the Holy Spirit is really about a ministry the Holy Spirit has that at the point of salvation places every believer in the body of Christ. This is, that's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. We know this from Romans uh, chapter 8. We know this from Ephesians 1. We know that Paul says this in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to what he says. He says, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. Ephesians 4, 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not talking about immersion. It's talking about this idea of bringing the body, we're all in the body of Christ. That's why we're called to use our gifts. Some of us are legs, some of us are feet, some of us are hands. All have different roles and responsibilities within the body, okay? So verse 5 is so important to understand because it's beginning to shed light on verse 8. Understand this, Acts 1-8 is the very theme of the entire book of, the, uh, of Acts. The entire theme. It's going to be in, in, in chapter, excuse me, in verse 8 of chapter 1, but verse 5 is so important to understand because it's leading to verse 8. And the whole reason that we're waiting on the Holy Spirit, this is what Luke is getting at with the apostles, wait on the Holy Spirit to be clothed with power. Why? He gets ready to tell us. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they were so stuck. They had an agenda. Like, hey, you're supposed, like the Messiah is supposed to deliver us and restore Israel from the Romans. And they were so stuck on this. So Jesus reminds them again, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. People are still doing that today. Hey, do you, you know, do you think now's the end times? Do you think, because, you know, this latest thing with the Ukraine, or do you think that's going to be, the, like, do you think this, you know, this president and now's in, you know, do you think now it's, you know, every president we've had this question. And what's Jesus saying? Don't, don't get caught up in trying to figure out the times or the seasons. But I will tell you this, get ready. Be prepared. Verse 8, he says, but, so here's the key to the whole book of Acts. He says, but you will receive power. You know what that word in the English means? Dynamite. That's the kind of power he's talking about. You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be what? My what? 
Come on, say it louder. That's right. You're going to be my witnesses, and they'll look where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what's so interesting about the book of Acts is that it's pretty much broken up into covering these places. Chapters 2 through 8 are covering Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your local community. Right, could be Cyprus, could be Katy, could be Fairfield, wherever wherever you live. Like he's talking about, that's your Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, chapters eight through twelve, talking about the areas that really you don't want to go, maybe areas that you feel uncomfortable going, and then also ends of the earth, twelve through twenty-eight. That's what the that's how how the book is even broken out. Places where you are maybe considered a stranger, a foreigner. He says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here's what Luke's getting at. And I want to spend some time just on focusing on this. Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses. Now, what's a witness? A witness is someone who will testify of something they have seen or know. That's what a witness is. A witness is somebody who will testify. You can't be a witness and stay quiet. So you're going to have to testify to something you've seen or something you know. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to go share with others what you know about me. I want you to go share with others of what you've experienced with me. I want you to go tell other people how I've changed your life. You don't, you don't have to know where dinosaurs on the ark and, you know, was it a literal, se- you know, seven, six days of creation and a day of rest, or was it like a day is a thousand years and so is thousands, maybe it's billions now. Like, you don't have to have the answers to all those things. Just what? Just testify of what you know and what you see. Like, how has he changed? Like, I was just reading this in my quiet time, you know, the other day where, where, where Jesus changed the, uh, the demon-possessed man, and he cast the demons out into the pigs, and the pigs fell over, and the people were like, oh, you just took all our pigs, right? And, and they just went over the cliff, and he tells the demon-possessed guy, because he now wants to hang out with Jesus, and no, 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 no. You go back, and you just tell him. You tell him what I've done for you. And the same is true. Like, like we just need to tell the people in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and our Samaria and to the ends. Like, what has Jesus done for you? What have you seen? Just give testimony. He says, you are my witnesses. And why this is so important that he says back in verse 5, he says, because he wants you to go be his witnesses, but to do this, you need to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be clothed. In his spirit, Jesus says that we're called to be salt and light. The only way you are going to be bright for Christ is if you are plugged into the source of power. Like that's where it comes from. Like if if your battery is getting low, right? Like every morning. I'm just telling you, we talked about this early on in the bodybuilding series, about having a quiet time and spending time with Jesus and spending time in God's word. Why? Because it's going to reset, it's going to reboot your mind and your conscience, and it's going to give you the strength and the power to go about your day. Like, I'm telling you, I just, 
I literally cannot wait to get up in the morning and spend time with Jesus. I just can't. And I know, I know that's not true for everybody. Just, I'm just telling you for me. Like I literally can't. It recharges me and refuels me and resets me so that as I go about my Jerusalem and potentially a Judea and a Samaria and even sometimes to the ends of the earth, like I'm walking in the power and being clothed in the power of the Spirit so that as I have opportunities that I'll be his witness. And this is why he says, wait, just wait. I need you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because then you'll be clothed with power so that God can do what God wants to do in this world through you. Now, here's what's awesome. I want you to look at me. Here's what's awesome. You don't have to wait. You know why? Because he already indwells you. He already indwells you as a believer. Now, you might, you might not, you know, trust Christ yet. And as you keep coming, you keep asking questions. Like, I want you to keep at, like, this doesn't make sense. What does this even mean? You just keep coming. You keep asking. Because we want to help you walk through all that stuff. But when you give your life to Jesus, like when you surrender and give your life to Christ, that Holy, the Holy Spirit indwells you in that moment. Guess what? You don't have to wait for him. He already resides in you. The only waiting you need to do is making sure that you're abiding and walking in step with him. Because he's always leading. It's just a matter of will we follow and so the great thing is, is he's telling the apostles, hey, I want you to wait because you're going to be clothed with power in order to be able to do all this. I just think, man, if we're walking in the Spirit, think about this. If we're walking, if we're abiding in the Holy Spirit and we're walking in the Spirit and the Spirit is then producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Like if he's producing that in and through that and that's what people are experiencing and that's what people are hearing, do you think that might be a good witness? Seriously, do you think people would walk away just going, those judgmental lovers of people? They're so kind, I can't even stand them, right? Like if that was the reputation of the church. Because guess what? It was of the early church. We talked about this in the, when I did that dangerous series uh, a number of months ago. We talked about like the Christians, the early believers like, they were the ones that were taking in the widows and the orphans. They were the ones that were taking in the ones that had leprosy. And they were the ones that were putting their lives on the line to care and sacrifice for others. That's what the church was known for. And thousands of people were converting. Why? Because they saw the Christians actually living out Jesus' life. Because why? Because they were walking in the Spirit and ministering in the Spirit. So just tell me. How in the world could the church, the body of believers, be known as boring, hypocritical, judgmental? How? And the only way is when we choose to walk in our flesh and our pride and our lack of love and our lack of joy. And that's what people witness of us.
See, when we talk about here at Sal Life, about we're, we're a church that's all about making and sending disciples who love and live like Jesus. That's our mission. If you want a church that's going to entertain you, we are not it. But if you want to learn what it means to be a disciple and be a disciple maker, like the last series that we just did, bodybuilding, it's all about trying to help us grow up. It's about maturing in our faith and walk, but not so that we can just be puffed up people. The whole purpose of maturity is so that we would then reproduce more disciples of Jesus. And those disciples reproduce more disciples. Like, like we want to send out an army of disciple makers into our community because if that's the case, then we're representing Christ. And we're being these witnesses that he talks about. Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. We're called to live these sent lives as witnesses. So look what he says, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go in to heaven. And here's the challenge for the church today. Why are you still standing, gazing into the sky? Why are you still, why are you still staring, gazing up? Because what the angels are saying is Jesus already gave you your marching orders. Get ready. Jesus already told you, be my witness. Go make disciples. Like he already, he already made it clear. Listen, he's coming back. And I don't know when. Do I think it's in my lifetime and all that kind of stuff? Sure, we can have long conversations about that stuff. But all I know is I do know he's coming. And are we ready? And are we taking the responsibility that he's given us? Are we choosing to, to walk in the power of his spirit to accomplish the work that he's called us to do before he comes back? There's, a, there's an old story uh, about Jesus after he's ascended and he gets to heaven and, and Gabriel asks him, he says, Lord, you know, what plans, what plans do you have now that you've left earth? You know, what, how, how, do you, how do you still plan to, to further your kingdom? How does the ministry that you imparted, how does that, how does that continue to go? How will, you, how will people in the next generation and the next generation know that you love them so much that you, that you laid down your life, that you paid for their sins? Like, how will that happen? Jesus responds to Gabriel. He said, well, you know, Peter and James and John and Martha and Mary, they know. And, I, I, and I've sent my, my spirit, I've sent the Holy Spirit to give them power and authority. And I told them, hey, that, that, like the way that this is going to go, like they need to share this with others. Like I've told them. They need to now share it with others. 
Well, see, Gabriel knows people. And his concern was because, well, what if, what if they get busy? What if, they, what if they get fearful like they did before and, they, and they're afraid of persecution and, and they just they scatter and they, they stop sharing? What if they get tired and weary and exhausted? Do you have a plan B? And Jesus responds, no, I don't have a plan B. My plan is that they would be my witnesses. So you have a part. And your part is a significant part. Your part as the family of God, as a part of the body of Christ is to just do your part. You're not called to do the Holy Spirit's job. He'll do his perfectly. You can't do other people's part because that's not your part. Just do yours. Just do your part. And if we're going to fulfill the plans that God has given us, then we are called to yield to the Spirit. We're called to walk in the Spirit. And then you are called to be clothed in the Holy Spirit in order for you and I to be an effective witness for Jesus. So church, you are called out people. You are a called out, marked people by God himself. And you have been given the most powerful, most authoritative person indwelling in you, which is the Holy Spirit. Don't squelch them. Don't ignore them. Yield, surrender, and just follow. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out, and I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come down. But I want you to know, Next week, we go to three services. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it as a tech team and worship team earlier because they're, they're going to have to be here like at 6.15. Yeah. Didn't hear any cheering for that one. <laughs> but you know why? They love God and they love you. And we, need, and we need some of you to go to that 8 o'clock hour. That's just reality. We need some of you to be willing. And it, you know what? It's easier. Like when we do Easter services and we're like, hey, for one Sunday, we need you to sacrifice, right, for other people. We're asking that you would be willing. And maybe you start serving the 930 hour, but you come and worship at 8 a.m. And you serve that 930 hour. I don't know what it is. You pray about it, you think about it. But here's the thing. Here's the reality. We need more room for our guests. So if you consider this your church and you're willing to make the sacrifice, it would be greatly appreciated because we've got to make space for more people. God has made it very clear there's a lot more people that are coming. And there's going to be more people that are coming. Yeah. Amen. And so he said, get ready. Get ready. And if you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to be my called out people, then we have to be about his business. We need more people to serve. 
We need more people to care for the people that are coming because we want them to feel loved and cared for as we walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Lord, I pray, my prayer has been that your Spirit would work and move in such a powerful way that it's undeniable. There's, it's not about gifted people, talented people, personalities of people. God, it's about your spirit, your church moving as one. The unity of the body, serving and caring for one another. And so God, I love you. I'm just so grateful for the fact that you are in our midst. And so when we worship and when we celebrate we, we're, we're celebrating around a conviction that you really are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that that would fuel our worship, our gratitude, our appreciation of you. In fact, the Holy Spirit, we don't worship the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us worship the Son. And so the Holy Spirit, you who indwell us, even as we respond right now to this song, God, I pray that we would respond, not squelching you because we're uncomfortable, but that we would allow you to work in us in such a way that the Son, the Father, gets the glory and the worship he deserves for the power that he has given and shown through his Son of saving people like me who don't deserve salvation. So God, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your gentleness. And let me be a conduit, a witness to those around me. God, we love you. Let's stand together. Let's worship. In Jesus' name, amen.